All right. Good morning, Cornerstone. How's everyone doing? Awesome. It is uh, really good to be here this morning, and uh, we just want to make a shout out to our Santan campus. So everybody say hi to Santan. We love you guys. How you doing out there? Come on, that's it. Give them a little more. The Santan. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, we also have our overflow room, and so uh, I can see you guys over there. Hello, overflow room. How you doing? I got one wave. Uh, that's why they're in there. They're like, oh, we don't have a list of sermon in here. Um, I'm just kidding. I know you do. Um, and if you don't, I'll be in there. Um, and then uh, all of our online, uh, you know, if people are watching online, we are so excited you're watching us online. But uh, overall, we're just so excited that we're here. I think uh, this morning is going to be uh, a really good morning. So to prepare us, what I'd like you to do is if you would open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 20. Uh, Matthew is almost uh, towards the back of your Bible. Uh, it's the first gospel, which is Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, after the Old Testament. And just hold it there. Uh, and then we're going to jump into that. Let me ask you a question. I know you already took a survey, but I'm going to take another one. But appreciate you taking that survey. It's very important to us. Um, uh, you know, how many of you in this room are really good athletes? Like, you grab a ball, you're pitching 90 miles an hour, you could run and keep running forever, you're like Forrest Gump. Like, how, how many of you are, would you just say God has gifted you with be, being an athlete? Just go ahead and raise your hand. Okay, we got a couple of you. A couple of, okay, good, good. Yeah. Really? You're an athlete? Um, <laughs> sorry. I should be removed from the stage. How many of you would say that you're just gifted? You're like book smart. You go into a class and the professor starts speaking and you're like, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Or you look at me and you go, you're just a, you don't know how to teach. I'm way more knowledgeable than you. Um, go ahead and raise your hand if that's what God has gifted you with, just being super intelligent. We only have like a couple of you smart people in here. That's really sad. <laughs> or the rest of you are so intelligent you don't want to raise your hand, um, which means you're probably truly intelligent. Um, you intelligent ones will get that later. Um, how many, how many of you would say, hey, you're not, you're not good at like just one thing, but you're just good at everything, okay? Like you're just a, a jack of all trades. Hardly any of you really, like, okay. How many of you uh, are really good at finances or money? Do we have any of you? Okay, would you guys stand up, please? We're trying to... No, just stand. It's okay. We'll just get their numbers. No. Okay, you're good with finances, money. Raise your hand again. I'm sorry, I didn't see that one. So a couple of you. Okay, cool. I can see you. Um, how many of you would say that you're just naturally good-looking and humble? Okay. Yeah, dude, that's not true. Your mama lied to you. I, I see you right there raising your head. I know. <laughs> Ah, you are. You're a good-looking guy. So, hey, there's a single guy over here in case any of the ladies are interested. He looks about 14, though, so good to have you. Welcome. Um, you know what I find it interesting is that God has created us uh, all so different. Uh, and some of you may even go, after I said all those things, you go, I don't even have any talents. Like, woe is me. I'm not good at anything. And you almost get a little jealous when you see someone, you know, I have all these friends who run marathons and they post it all over Facebook. Oh, I ran a marathon, ba da ba da ba da ba. And I'm like, that's great. I sat on the couch and ate a bag of Doritos. 
you know, like, like, I don't care if you ran your marathon. I ate a whole bag of Doritos and I could eat a lot while you're doing your marathon. It, it, but I do, I do, I get jealous because I go out there to run and my, you know, belly's giving me a black eye and um, I can't, I'm just, I'm, I don't know, yeah. So all of the, <laughs> I'm laughing at myself. <laughs> that was good, that whole belly black eye thing. Um, but what I'm saying is there's this, there's this thing where God created us so differently and, and, and we all have different gifts and talents. And not only that, not only do we have different gifts and talents, we also have different trials in our lives, don't we? Some of you are a magnet for trials. You know, where whatever you go through in life, it just seems that, oh my gosh, not again. And some of you have never even experienced a trial. You know, you go through life and everything just seems to be great. Some of you have been through some pains and hurts and, and have had a real difficult time, maybe even this holiday season, this Christmas season as we're, as we're ending it out and this New Year's coming in. And some of you are just having the greatest year ever. And, and here's what I want to talk about today is, is we are all so different and we all have different gifts and talents and we all have different lives and we all come from different places and God doesn't seem interested in evening it all out. So when you're going through a trial and you look at someone else and you're kind of jealous or you look and you wish you had that life, God doesn't change your situation many times. And so what I want to discuss is this whole idea of understanding who God is and what he gives us and how we're to live in that place of our life. Because you are who you are, and God has created you to be someone, and he's created you with these gifts, with these talents, to serve in his kingdom. And so many times we look around and try to be something we're not. Let me pray. Father God, we just ask that you uh, be with us this morning. We ask that you challenge us, and Lord, I, I know you're so aware that so many different people are at different places in their relationship with you right now. So we pray that you meet them where they're at and challenge them to grow to where they need to be. We pray this in your name. Amen. Um, look at Matthew chapter 20 with me. I know you guys are already there, but I'm not there yet. In Matthew chapter 20, there's an interesting parable we're going to go through. Listen to what it says in verse 1. It says, for the kingdom of heaven is like. Okay, I'm going to stop right there. Number one, whenever you hear this in scripture, for the kingdom of heaven is like... Uh, what you'll find out is this is who God is, okay? The, basically, you can translate it as God is like this when it says kingdom of heaven, okay? So it's God's rule over the earth and uh, in heaven and, and all eternity. That's, that's his rule. It's the kingdom of heaven. This is who God is. This is who he's like, okay? And it says God is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. And he agreed to pay them a denarius for the day, and he sent them into his vineyard. So it says, God is like a landowner, and he went out, and he saw some guys waiting in the town, the town square, waiting to be hired. And, and, and maybe they were there, they've been there a couple of days, you know, coming every morning, hoping to get a job, hoping to, to get some work, hoping to be able to, you know, buy food for their family. Day laborers, uh, you know, have a difficult time because they work every day, and if they don't get a job on that day, they don't get paid and they don't get food. And so here you have this guy, and I can picture him now. 
getting up early in the morning at the crack of dawn and, 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 and waking up and seeing his wife and thinking to himself, I hope I get a job today. I hope today is the day that someone hires me so I can work. And then he walks by his kids and he thinks, I hope they get food tonight. I hope today someone will hire me so I could feed my kids and I could feed my wife and I could feel I could accomplish what I'm supposed to accomplish as a man and take care of my family. And so he gets his work clothes on and he starts, starts walking down to the town square. And it's cool and crisp out. And the dust is settling on the dirt roads. And he meets some other guys who that's where they meet every morning and wait for someone to come hire him. And according to this parable, a landowner comes and hires him and says, hey guys, I've got a vineyard, and I'd love for you to come work for me, and if you come work for me, I'll pay you a day's wage. Do you agree? And they say yes, and they go, and they follow him, and they begin working. So that's the picture we have. Listen as it goes on. It says this in verse 3. It says, about the third hour, he, which is the the, uh, owner of the vineyard, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing, and he told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. So the picture is this, the the landowner goes out and hires some more people at about 9 a.m. So the other guys start at 6 a.m. They're there early in the morning, the landowner goes out at 9 a.m. and hires some more people. Now, if you started at 6 a.m. and someone shows up at 9, what are you thinking? You're like, hey, nice of you to show up. Right? I mean, some of you, I don't know, how many of you are like early to work kind of people? Like, I love trying to get there early. Okay. Yeah, you love getting there early, and then, you know, some people roll in at 9, 9.30, and, you know, you kind of look out your office or your cubicle or whatever, and you're like, hey, welcome. Glad you showed up today. You know, I've been working hard for the last three hours. Where have you been? And that's what these guys, these guys are working hard in the vineyard. They're moving, and all of a sudden, these guys at 9 o'clock show up, and they start working. Listen to what happens. It gets even better. It says this, um, in verse 5 it says, he went out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and he did the same thing. So the wealthy landowner then goes out not just at at 6 a.m. where he picked up this original crew, he picks up another crew at 9, but then he picks up another crew at noon, right? And then he picks up another crew at 3 p.m., Now imagine if you're these guys down here, you're that guy who got here early in the morning and you're looking, you're like, seriously? You guys showing up right now for work and you're crusted with dirt and the sun's out now and and, and, and your fingernails are are nasty and your hands are bleeding from from pruning and and harvesting the vines and and you're pulling weeds and, and, and these guys just show up and they're like, hey, wow, this is easy. You know, they're fresh and ready to go. And you're sweating and dripping, and it's been a rough, hard day. And so you have people showing up at 6 a.m., 9 a.m., noon, 3 p.m. Then it says this, the landowner again, he went out again about the, or I'm sorry, verse 6. He says, about the 11th hour, he went out and found still others standing around. And he asked them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. And he said to them, you also go work in my vineyard. Now, now this, this one gets me. Because it's an hour before the day is done. Okay, it's not like they have electric lights, they can work in the night. So at 5 p.m., which is the 11th hour, they only have one hour till 6 p.m. That's when they stop working. At 5 p.m., the landowner goes out and hires these guys. Now, again, picture yourself. 
You've been there for almost 12 hours. And then you see the landowner coming up the street laughing. He's got a group of guys who are like, yeah, we've been doing nothing all day. And, uh, and they come and start helping and you're, you're dripping with sweat and you're all dirty and your fingers are bleeding and you're looking over at these guys. Nice of you to show up at 5 p.m. You know we only have an hour left to work. How would you feel? Listen as it goes on. In verse 8 he says this, So when the evening came, 6 p.m., the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. So then he lines them all up. So this is going to get good. We're going to pay them all, you know, all these different groups. So, so the guys who got here at 5 p.m., we're going to line them up right here. And then the guys that got here at 3 p.m. right here, the guys that got here at noon, the guys who got here at 9 a.m., and then the 6 a.m. guys. We're going to start. We'll pay these guys first. Then we'll go down. So they're all waiting to get paid. That's why they're there. They're excited. They're like, man, I'm so blessed that we get to feed our families today. Listen in verse 9. He says this. So the workers who were hired about the 11th hour came and each received a denarius. Now, a denarius is a full day's wage. That's enough for you to survive for one day, for you to take care of your family, for you to take care of your food, whatever you need. So these guys worked an hour. They get a full day's wage. If you're down here, right, at 6 a.m., what are you thinking? If you're like me, you're like, dude. Maybe not dude, because they didn't say that back then, but you'd be, hey, um, that guy only worked an hour, he gets a full day's wage. I've been working 12 hours. Does that mean I get 12 full day's wages? Right? Like, oh, that's going to be awesome. You know what? I can, I, we're having, you know, Joe's Row barbecue tonight. We're, we're, we're going to eat like kings, and then I'm going to put that down payment on the camel or, you know, I, whatever. I'm excited. Like, this is going to be great. And so you're spending the money in your head. You're getting ready to go. And, and so these workers get paid uh, a day's wage, and then he goes down and pays the guy who was here at 3 p.m. a day's wage, and then the guy that was here at noon a day's wage, and the guy at 9 a.m. a day's wage. The guy at 6 a.m., a day's wage. Everybody got a day's wage. Rather, even if you worked an hour or you worked 12 hours. How would you feel? Ripped off, maybe? How many of you would feel ripped off? Come on, be honest. How many of you would feel ripped off? Listen to what happens. Verse 11, when they received it, well, actually, I'll start in verse 10. It says this. So when those who came were hired first, they expected to receive more, right? But each one of them also received a day's wage or a denarius. Verse 11. So when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. We've been ripped off. It's not fair. I've been working, and it actually says, this is the whining in the Bible. I love it. It actually says, um, it says, these men who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day. So he looks at them and, and they're just whining. I can't believe, oh, we've been here for 12 hours and we're bloody and we're, we've worked so hard. And, and you, those guys that worked an hour, you, you gave them the same pay. You're crazy. <laughs> What's going on, landowner? Listen to what happens. Remember, this is what God's like. Verse 14, it says this, or 13. But he answered one of them and he said, Friend, am I not being unfair to you? 
didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Hey, buddy, you want to remember at 6 a.m. this morning when you were in the town center and I came and hired you and I said, will you work for a day's wage? And you said yes, and I said yes. And if you remember you were praying that God would provide for you today, I remember God was going to provide for you a day's wage because if you work hard, you get a day's wage. Did you forget that, that God's going to provide a meal for your family tonight? And So he just lays it out. The landowner lays it out to the guys that have been there at 6 a.m. and says that to them. And then listen to what he says. Verse 14, he says, take, take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. And then he says this, don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? <laughs> Dude, it's my money. If I, the landowner, want to pay this guy the same, then I could pay him the same. But that's not fair, is it? Is it not fair? This is what God is like. He's saying, I can do with what I want with the gifts that I have and I want to give to people. If I want to bless somebody more than you, I can do that because I'm God. But God, that's not fair to me. We're all winners, right? <laughs> Listen to what happens. Listen to what he says, and this, this blew me away. He says, don't I have the right to do with what I want with my own money, or are you envious because I'm generous? Are you jealous because I'm generous to someone else? Let's look at it in a different way. This guy worked hard and, 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 and earned his keep, but the landowner wanted to bless the guy who worked an hour. Can he do that? Man, what if this guy viewed it that way, but rather than looking at the blessing he received for the day, he looked and he said, it's not fair because I worked this hard and that person only worked that hard. And that, God, that's not fair. That's not right. We do this all the time. We do this all the time. What if I invited you over to my house for dinner and I said, hey, we're going we're gonna to have a great, my wife's going to cook an amazing dinner because she's an amazing cook as you can tell. Um, and, uh, and, and then after dinner, we're going to have some dessert. And I'm going to, I heard this from a guy named Jeff Mannion, great pastor, and he brought this illustration out so perfect. And, and we're going to lay out some, some bowls and, and have some ice cream. And so we get the kids together. Let's say there's four kids, and we lay out the bowls of ice cream. And you know what? I go down, and I put one scoop of ice cream in each of the bowls. And then I put another scoop of ice cream, and then I thought, you know what, your kid was extra good today. You know, I saw them over there, they did a great job, and so I'm going to give them an extra scoop. Man, eh, maybe an extra two scoops. And then another kid, oh, they did, you know, they were, so I'm going to give them an extra scoop. So, so you have, you know, a bowl with two scoops, another bowl with two scoops, a bowl with three scoops, and a bowl with four scoops. And we call the kids together and say, hey, kids, we got some ice cream for you. And they all come up, and they begin to look at their bowls and say, hey, this one's for you, this one's for you, this one's for you. What do you think the ones with the two scoops are going to do? You think they're going, thank you, what a blessing. What do they do? Oh my gosh, hey, they got three scoops. Hey, that guy got four. That's not fair. That's not fair. And here's the problem. When we don't focus on the blessing that's in front of us, and we look in other people's bowls, we become ungrateful to God. We become ungrateful, and, and, and somehow we feel that we've been ripped off. 
and that somehow God doesn't want our best and God, and, and yet we forget that there's ice cream in the bowl. <laughs> Whether it's one scoop, two scoops, there's ice cream in there. Maybe it's not 10 or four, but there is. And so how do we live a life grateful and thankful for all that God is doing and has done? Turn your Bibles to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6. So over and over, the Bible describes what kind of people we're supposed to be. And, and, and I mean, we could spend sermon after sermon talking about this, but let me, really, the kind of people we're supposed to be are people that give everything to him, because everything we have is given from him, and, and for our use. So that's finances, that's our stuff, that's um, my skills, my gifts, my talents. Uh, whatever I have, uh, it, I believe it comes from God, and I believe Scripture's very clear, every good and perfect thing comes from above, that, that for us to, to honor him with, okay, and, uh, and so whatever those things are in our life, they're all different for each and every one of us, but they're his for us to use, for us to give back, to be a blessing to others and to be a blessing to him and the church. So in Deuteronomy, what's happening is Israel is moving into the promised land. They're getting prepared to move into the, the land that they've been promised for so long. And so God is preparing them saying, hey, I want you to remember something. It's very important when you head in here don't forget this, and listen to what he says in Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 10, or 6, verse 10. I'm, I apologize. That's all the way at the first five books of the Bible. Um, listen to what it says in chapter 6, verse 10. It says, so when, when the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Okay, so, so God's like, hey, remember this. Remember, remember when God is, is bringing us into that land that we've been waiting so long for. Listen. It says, a land with large, flourishing cities you did not build, houses you filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive gardens you did not plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. So he says this, all of these things that you're going to be given, don't forget who gave them to you. Don't forget. Why? Why did he put this in here? Why? Because he knew they would forget. And he knows we will forget. He knows we'll forget. He knows I'll forget. He knows I'll forget the blessings. He knows I'll forget the blessing of my wife and my family. He knows he'll forget the blessings all around us. And he says, don't forget me. Because when you forget me, you miss out on an even bigger blessing. Now, turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 19, just over to the right a little bit. So, as they're preparing to move, they had to create some laws because some certain things were happening at the time. And, and people were taking advantage, believe it or not, that's what they did back then. We don't do that now. Um, <laughs> they take advantage of their blessing. And so they had to put some certain things in place. And so there's this interesting little law that, that was put in place. And I'm going to read it to you, and you're going to go, what does this mean? And then I'll explain it to you. And so in Deuteronomy 19, verse 14, it says this. It says, basically, when you're in the promised land, okay, when you're there, do not move your neighbor's boundary stone set up by your predecessors in the inheritance you receive in the land the Lord your God is giving you to possess. Okay, so he says, don't move the boundary stones. And we're like, what does that even mean? Well, let me explain it to you. 
when they were headed to the promised land, what would happen is every family was given a plot of land. Those plot of lands were already set up. Like today, you know, we have GPS sections and we have walls that set up. They didn't really have those. They had what was called boundary stones. Those boundary stones were saying, hey, when you go into the land, this is your area. This is your boundary. This is where you're to live. This is where we're going to provide for your family. This is where you're, you're going to grow your crops. This is where families, you're going to build your home. Or if there's a home there already, you live in that. Those are the boundary stones. Well, what was happening was people were coming in at different times and let's say I came in and I knew what my boundary was, but I started looking at my neighbor's boundaries. And I looked over the fence and I said, hey, there's a river over there. Huh. I don't have a river over here. Bob's not here yet. Let me kind of just move my boundary stone a little bit. And all of a sudden, I've got a huge area with a river running through it. And Well, sorry, Bob. You see what it's going on? See, what happens is when we move the boundary stones in our life, what are we doing? We're turning our back on what God has blessed us with. Do you catch this? I'll explain. If God has given me this and I begin to move the boundary stones, what I'm saying is what God has given me isn't enough. And so I turn and I move the boundary stones to encompass someone else's blessing and when I do that, I turn my back on the blessing that God has given me. I've seen this happen in marriages where a husband or a wife will look at someone else's marriage and say, I want that. I don't want what God has given me. And so they move the boundary stones and they have an affair. And the marriage falls apart and they turn their back on God. It happens all the time. Oh, we look over the fence and say, oh, I wish I had their personality. Oh, gosh, I wish I, wish I was as good looking as, as they are. Oh, I wish I was as funny as, as that person. Oh, I wish I had their education. Oh, I wish I had their job. Oh, I wish I had their car. Oh, I wish I had their house. Oh, I wish I had their kids. I wish I had, what? and the list goes on and on and on. And when we look over other, our fence over at other people's yards, we turn our back on the blessing and the things that God desires and has for us. I don't want to be that kind of person. And somehow when we do this, what we're saying is we inwardly feel ripped off by God. When we try and attain things that don't belong to us. Why is credit so huge in America? Because we try and attain things that don't belong to us, nor do we have money to purchase them. And so what do we do? We move the boundary stones. Well, we'll buy this house even though we can't afford it. And God's like, no, 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 no. Hey, 1,000 square feet's good. Right? And we forget. We forget. They moved out of their apartment into a home. And you know what? It was a thousand square feet and they were excited about it. It was a gift from God they'd been saving for years and they were blessed and honored. Even though they had a family of five, it was a difficult time squeezing into this little house. But you know what? It wasn't in the greatest neighborhood. It wasn't, uh, you know, the nicest house. It needed a lot of work, but it was theirs and God had blessed them with it and it was an honor and, and, and they felt God had provided an incredible way. A few months into moving there, they got a phone call from an old friend that the husband went to college with, and he said, hey, I moved into town, 
And, uh, and I know it's been about 15 years since we've seen each other, and man, I'd love to get together and we can hang out. And, and, uh, and so we, they set a date and, and planned it all and got excited and hung up the phone. He went and told his wife, and he said, man, you know, he's, he's in town, and we're going to set up this whole time to meet together. And then they began reminiscing. They, were, they went to college together. Uh, they got the same grades. They, they actually went into the, the same career. Um, and then after that, these things got split off, and they hadn't really talked to each other um, but they were both Christians and godly guys. So they were excited to see their friends who they hadn't seen in a while. And the day came, they went, they got in their old minivan, tried to start it up, you know, it's ticka ticka ticka. They pulled out of their alleyway and down the alley. And they started looking at the directions on where they were headed and they realized it was on the other side of the tracks. You know what that means. And they started going past the matchbox houses and the dilapidated neighborhoods into nice green with waterfalls, brick walls. And they realized, wow, this is a really nice neighborhood. And they pulled in and they pulled around and they got the address, but they couldn't see the house from the street. And so they, 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 they looked and they had to pull up to the intercom and they could hear the clickety-clack of their, of their van uh, you know, engine bouncing off the, the, the brick walls and they pushed the intercom button. He says, oh, you're here, and click, and the gate opens, big iron gate, and they're looking at each other and they pull up on the cobblestone road and they start driving down the driveway and they just turn around there's this beautiful, huge mansion, this just gorgeous house, big RV. They get out of the car, they walk in, they're greeting them at the door, just smiling, looks they just look perfect. They went in, and the kitchen is as big as their house. They had dinner. The kids were playing. It was a great time. They got back in the car. It was silent on the way home. Kids are making all kinds of noise, though, because they're saying, man, that's the best house I've ever been in. See all the toys they had? See the trampoline and the water slide? And, oh, and they're, oh, they're going crazy, and it's just grating on them. They get home, put their kids to bed, sit on the couch, look at each other, and somehow feel that God had ripped them off. When they looked around at their thousand square feet saying, God, this is... See, here's the problem. It wasn't that they didn't feel blessed and honored with what they had. The problem was when they looked at what somebody else had, that's what they wanted. And they didn't give God honor and blessing because they forgot their blessing. They were looking in someone else's bowl. They were looking over the fence. And when that happens, it's miserable. She was single for a long time. She wanted to be married, but just couldn't find the right person. And in fact, all of her friends started getting married. And so then the pressure's really on because all of her friends are married and hanging out with married people and she's there single. And she somehow finds the right guy, she thinks, but it's really the wrong guy at the right time. <laughs> and they get together and she knows it's wrong. She knows she shouldn't be with him, but she's so lonely and so she looks over the fence and she feels like, God, it isn't fair. I, I, you're ripping me off and so I'm gonna subvert your will because I don't believe you're good. This happens all the time. Maybe there's finances. Man, people sacrifice and give to the Lord in this church. It's amazing watching that happen and, there's a, a couple that's retired and, and they gave to the church and they were honoring to God, but they lost everything in the stock market when it crashed. And somehow, they feel ripped off. 
Because we gave and yet now we've lost everything and we have to go back to work when we didn't want to. Feeling deep down that God didn't provide for them. Looking over the fence, feeling that God had ripped them off. See, most sin, most sin can be traced back. Most sin can be traced back to the fact that we don't feel that God has been good to us. I used to work at a grocery store called Alpha Beta. Anybody remember Alpha Beta? Sweet. I was a courtesy clerk. And, uh, and I remember um, my whole goal was to be the best courtesy clerk because I wanted to be a checker. And back then, checkers, uh, this was in 85, 86, checkers made a lot of money, and I was in high school, and so I'm like, that was my goal. I got in there, and I worked really hard for a year. I did everything I could. I was the guy that was there early, left late, cleaned up all the messes, you know, did every, all the jobs nobody else wanted to do. I had earned my way to being chosen for a checker. One of our ladies who had been there for years and years and years retired as a checker, and so I knew my time was coming. And I, so I started preparing, memorizing produce codes, doing all that stuff. And uh, man, I was so excited. I want to be a checker. You know, I'm going to buy a new car. I'm thinking all this stuff I'm going to do. And, uh, and so I came into work a couple of days before I knew they were going to start hiring a checker. And I saw uh, one of our new guys at the check stand with one of our checkers. And I went over and I said, hey, man, what's going on? And he's like, yeah, they just promoted me to checker. And so I'm training today. Now, this guy had only been there a week or a month or so, and he was uh, related to the boss, so you know how that goes. And so I looked at him, and I slugged him in the face. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't do that. This is what you think. He really did that. And, 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 here's what, and, and I was so angry, and I was so mad. I was so mad. And I just looked at him, and I was seething all day long. And, and so the boss came up and he said, hey, there's a, there's a load in the back, Doc, pull it in. So I pulled it, I had to go pull the load in. And uh, as I'm pulling the load in, uh, I'm, I'm seething, I'm angry. And, and, and all of a sudden I'm realizing, I'm saying, okay, I, I'm going to do something here. I'm so mad. And so I'm doing my Rocky thing, you know, I'm going around. I'm, I'm like, I'm just, I'm mad. I've got to do it. And so I look and there's this case of tuna. And so I grab this case of tuna and said, I'm going to steal this case of tuna. And, and so I put it out on the back dock and I cover it up and I go back in and I'm working. I'm like, that's right. I, I, I didn't tell him. I'm thinking there. I'm laughing. I, I, I stole a case of tuna. Why? I deserve it. Because this place, you know what? I was supposed to have that job. And so now I have free case of tuna and there's nothing you can do about it. And I'm thinking in my head after work, I go back and I go pick up this big old case of tuna. And I'm like, I hate tuna. I don't even like tuna. Tuna's disgusting. And, uh, but, I, but I had it. And here, here's, here's, here's what I'm, I'm getting to is when we feel ripped off by God, we justify our sin. I feel like I deserved to rip that tuna off. I feel like, you know what, it isn't wrong for me to do this. I felt justified because they had been wrong to me. And I think some of us do that with him. I met with guys who've had affairs and say, well, no, it's not a sin because I didn't love my wife anymore and it just wasn't working. No, you're in sin. It turned back on God. No. And they feel justified. They feel justified. A heart that believes it's been ripped off by God can easily justify its actions. God owes me. It's not fair. So what are the consequences if I inwardly suspect that God has ripped me off? What are the consequences? And I have three. Number one is this. And I hope you can write these down if you have a pen. Number one is this. When I suspect God has ripped me off, I miss out on seeing the real good all around me. 
I miss out on seeing the real good. Look at your family. Look at your wife. Look at your job. It may not be the greatest, but it's what God has given you. And maybe half the problem is the fact that you're not grateful. Well, maybe 95% of the problem. And I miss seeing it all around me. I can't rejoice. Number two, it's impossible to have joy over what I or others receive. It's impossible for me to have joy when somebody else gets a blessing and I don't. When somebody else gets something good and I don't. When they get the promotion and I don't. When they get healed and I don't. Or whatever, however you want to, we can't, we, no. I can't have any joy. I can't enjoy life because I'm so feeling ripped off by God. That is not where he wants you to be. And number three, which I think is the strongest and the worst is this, is that we refuse to worship and we, we, we withhold from God. Maybe you came in this morning and worship started and we were singing and, and you're like, I'm not going to sing. I'm just angry with God. Do you feel like he ripped you off? And here's what he says, guys. Have I ripped you off? Have I really ripped you off? He loves you. He cares for you. And he wants to have a relationship with you. And so my challenge for you this week is this. Slow down. Take a look at what's around you. Take a look at your family, your friends. Take a look at your kids. Take a look at your job. And be so grateful that you live in this place that God has given you. And here's what I'm saying is when you do that, when you live like that, when you every day can see that, you know what? Everything changes. Everything begins to change for the better. Let me pray. Father God, I thank you for this group. And Lord, I pray that you challenge us at every level. I pray, God, that your spirit would come down and move in us in such a way where we would leave this place as grateful people, that we would stop looking at other people's bowls, that we would stop looking over the fence, and that we would live the kind of life that you want for us. Because God, your life is the best possible life for each and every one of us. Let us live it together. In your name, amen.